And welcome back. This is Daily Buddhism audio show number 53. My name is Brian Shell, and I'm your host for the show. You can find the text as well as all links mentioned in this program and all past episodes on the website at www.dailybuddhism.com. And before we get started, have a few announcements. First, tomorrow's issue number 27 of the Weekly Buddhism PDF magazine will be the final weekly issue. After months of tinkering and thinking about it, I've decided that there just isn't enough content in one week's postings to justify a weekly release. Instead, I'm going to start doing the same thing on a monthly basis. There will be vastly more content per issue, and you'll only have one-fourth the number of issues to try to keep current with. Also, I won't have to hurry so much to keep up with it, so quality will be higher. Very little of the Daily Buddhism's content is time-sensitive, so not much is going to be lost by switching to a larger, monthly format. The May 2009 issue of the all-new Monthly Buddhism PDF magazine will be available around the 1st of May and will include all postings and comments from the Daily Buddhism website during the month of April, as well as a few special items. It'll be an easy way to have everything in one convenient package. The cover price will now be $5 per month, which is essentially the same as a month's worth of weekly issues are now. Subscriptions will carry over without change unless you decide to cancel. Essentially, you'll be getting four times as much information, one-fourth as often, at the same cost. And of course, please feel free to email me your comments or suggestions on this change. And now I'll mention our sponsor for the show, Mighty Leaf Tea brings you the widest variety of high-quality teas, teaware, and tea-related gifts right to your door. You can perform your regular Buddhist tea rituals with Mighty Leaf Teas, or just drink it because it's great. Summer's coming, and they have a great selection of iced teas, as well as the hot stuff. For special deals and free sample teas with every order, check out www.dailybuddhism.com tea. That's spelled T-E-A. Okay, well, we covered some great topics in this week's free Daily Buddhism email newsletter, and we'll cover them shortly in this week's episode. Of course, of all the stuff we do on the Daily Buddhism, I like answering your questions the most. So send in yours by email to brian at dailybuddhism.com or call in 24 hours a day on the voicemail hotline at 937-660-4949. No question is too small or oddball. I answer all questions. However, once in a while, I get one that I either don't know the answer to, or don't really feel qualified to answer. And I've got two of those here this week, one of which I've been procrastinating on for a long time. So I'm going to open them up to anyone listening. If you have an answer or suggestion, then either send me an email or you can comment on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. Here goes. Hi, Brian. My name is Janie. This weekend when I was at the services, somebody had died, and they said something about him being in meditation. I didn't understand what that meant, if that was what they call death, 
or if it lasts for a certain amount of time and then you go on to where you wait to be reborn. Could you explain that to me? Thank you so much. Bye-bye. And this is not something I'm really all that familiar with. It seems most likely that it's just another euphemism for death, much like other people would say, he's sleeping or he's passed on. But I don't know that for a fact. If you've heard this before, or better yet, have an explanation, let me know and I'll put the answer on here next week. And the second question is one that I've had here for quite a while. I actually asked this question on the podcast a few weeks ago, but didn't get much in the way of a response. So this time I'll put on the original message and see if anybody comes up with anything. Here we go. Hello, Brian. I'm Sarah from Memphis, Tennessee. First, I'd like to thank you for all the work you put into daily Buddhism. I only recently discovered the glory of podcasts, and I have been enjoying listening to your past episodes. They've been very helpful and informative. My question is about meditation cushions. I know there are Zafus, Sabutans, benches, and chairs. Since I have finally begun sticking to a regular meditation schedule, I was considering investing in some appropriate cushions. However, I have bad knee and hip joints from old injuries that cause me severe pain when in a cross-legged position. Due to this, I have been using a simple fold-up chair with a pillow on the seat, but that isn't really cutting it now that I am sitting more often. With my physical limitations, do you have any recommendations on what type of cushions, benches, chairs, or combination thereof that would be good for me to try? Any advice you have would be greatly appreciated. I and my joints, thank you. Well, I can't say that I have a whole lot of experience using those different types of cushions. Personally, I just have a big pillow that I bought from a department store locally. It's nothing special. However, the whole point of a cushion is simply to be comfortable without being so comfortable that you want to go to sleep or get too relaxed. And there are many different options to do this, and hopefully someone who has used various different types of meditation cushions can give me some information on that, and I'll post it on the site or in next week's podcast. Okay, but now let's get on with this week's show. Okay. Let me point out before we get started that if you hear anything on the podcast that you enjoy or have a comment on, you can go to the link in the show notes, find the original article on the blog, and post your comments there. So if we have a question that you have some insight into, you can respond. You can tell the original person who told the question what you think. It's very easy. Okay, the first question for the week. Here we go. Hello, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I am a Soto Zen practitioner and have been doing Zazen very regularly. Recently, an overwhelming feeling of resentment for my mother has popped into my psyche. Although we have a great relationship and talk almost every day, it seems that through Zazen practice, this has come to the surface. I've been previously unaware of this. My resentment stems from the fact that when I was 17, she moved to another state, leaving me and my younger brother with my father. Now that I'm older and am supporting a family, I sometimes feel that I could really use her help. The funny thing is that I know my feelings are selfish and that my mom is happier where she is. 
I'm trying to work with these feelings as was wonder and was wondering if you could give me some feedback or advice from a Buddhist perspective. And my answer. I think it's perfectly normal for a child to feel abandoned in those circumstances. The question is whether or not it's healthy to continue feeling this way as an adult. Obviously, it's not healthy. Your mother had her reasons for leaving at the time, and whether or not they were reasonable to anyone else, they made sense to her in that situation. We all make decisions, and sometimes those decisions are wrong or hurt others. Now, I don't know whether she was right or wrong to leave, or if that was an overall good thing or a bad thing. But it is clear that in this case her decision hurt you at the time, and the resentment from that is still with you. So, what to do? Well, resentment is a form of anger, and we talked about that only a few weeks ago. This resentment has continued to grow in you subconsciously over the years, until you only recently became aware of its presence. You're grasping at anger, or holding on to fear from years ago, and this is affecting your relationship with her today. Having these harmful old feelings is causing you suffering now, and if she senses it, it's causing suffering for her as well, even if it's not obvious yet to either of you. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but it seems to me that you need to talk this out with her. You need to fully understand her reasons for doing what she did, and when you understand it, you need to forgive it and accept it. Now, this may be a very tough thing to do, and it may even be impossible, but you need to let it go. Anything else is going to continue to build up and cause problems later on. And then we'll move on to our koan for the week. This one is called Moksan's Hand. Moksan Hiki was living in a temple in the province of Tamba. One of his adherents complained of the stinginess of his wife. Mokasan visited the adherent's wife and showed her his clenched fist before her face. What do you mean by that? asked the surprised woman. Suppose my fist were always like that. What would you call it? he asked. Deformed, replied the woman. Then he opened his hand flat in her face and asked, Suppose it were always like that. What then? Another kind of deformity, said the wife. If you understand that much, finished Mokusan, then you are a good wife. Then he left. And after his visit, this wife helped her husband to distribute as well as to save. Okay, then on Wednesday, I put on a couple of short videos on the website. We haven't talked much about meditation lately, so I thought it was time for a refresher. On Wednesday, we had a video with Sekyong Jemgan Mifam Rinpoche as he explains his thoughts on meditation. I don't think we'd talked about him on the site before, but he's one of the up-and-coming big names in Buddhism. He's the son of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, and he holds various titles in Buddhism. There were two short videos. One was about the Sakyong himself. The other was a video of him discussing meditation with a group of students. 
I'm not going to put the videos into the podcast, but there are two links to the videos on the show notes, so you can see those there. Then we had another question from another reader, and this one goes, You recently wrote about your last will and testament, and that made sense to me. One of the people commenting on that mentioned getting a living will. What are your thoughts on those? And my answer, it's an interesting point. A living will, for anyone who might not know, is a document that explains your wishes concerning life support equipment and whether or not you want to be kept alive artificially in case of some very severe medical condition. As that same commenter mentioned last week, the most famous situation involving this was the one involving Terry Schiavo a few years ago. She was in a coma and couldn't say what she wanted, so there was a hugely publicized court battle between her parents and husband over what to do with her. Should she live, or should she be allowed to die? But my own wishes are pretty straightforward, and probably the same as most people. In cases of an emergency, I want the doctors to do everything and anything within reason they can to fix me. But if the problem is irreparable to the point where I need a machine to live one minute to the next, then they should stop and let me go. And yes, I have a living will, an official document, that says this. So obviously I am for living wills. It's a good idea for everyone to have a living will, whether or not you want to live on a machine or be allowed to die. It's the only way to make your wishes known legally. A regular last will and testament is only good after you are dead. It doesn't do anything if you're in a coma or otherwise unable to respond to doctors. But you probably knew all this already. The real question here is, what is the Buddhist perspective? And it's more complicated than it appears at first. There are two conflicting ideas at work. First, life is sacred. We cannot take a life either by murder or suicide. Depending on your perspective, not using a machine when the option is there could count as either. Pulling someone off a machine who is already on one really does look and feel a lot like murder. Refusing to be put on a machine seems a lot like suicide. This looks bad. Second, on the other hand, keeping someone alive in that condition only prolongs suffering, both for the victim and their families. Staying alive on the machine is another form of irrational grasping, which causes suffering. And, of course, these are the same two ideas that make the issue controversial for Christians, Muslims, atheists, and everyone else. They aren't just Buddhist questions. Buddhists, however, would probably place more emphasis on the second point, concerning suffering, than the other groups would. Well, if you hadn't guessed already, there really is no simple right and wrong with this. We each have to decide for ourselves. Once again, though, I will emphasize the importance of getting a living will. And Friday we had one of those fun questions. My question pertains to how a Buddhist should deal with religious solicitation, specifically Jehovah's Witnesses. They've yet to stop at my house, but other people I know have already had them come to the door, and I'm trying to decide the best approach to what I feel is an awkward situation. I'd hate to be blatantly rude to them, 
They mean well in their own way, but I just don't agree with the idea of bothering people at home to try and peddle your religion. I feel like I should be receptive to anyone who means well, and in a perfect world I'd like to be hospitable and invite these people in to sit down. I recognize they must face a lot of very negative people during their day, and my heart would want to be sympathetic and understanding. But this isn't a perfect world, and I was brought up that you don't talk to strangers, much less invite them into your house. Is it better to be straightforward and say, no thanks, I'm content with what I'm currently doing, and risk seeming rude? Or should I let them make their speech? I feel like the latter may be misleading, since I really have no interest in converting. So is that lying? So, WWBD, what would Buddha do if someone knocked at his door? Any thoughts you or any other readers or listeners might have would be much appreciated. Okay, this annoys me. I know, as a Buddhist I shouldn't get annoyed. Let's just call it a pet peeve then. And I have to admit, in my younger days, I'd always quickly explain that I can't talk right now, I'm sacrificing a goat in the basement and hastily closed the door. Was it rude? Yes. Was it ethically wrong? I'm not so sure. Let's look at all the factors here. You want to invite them into your house and to be hospitable to them. Well, that's nice. I'm sure they do meet many negative people during their travels. That's because they're bothering people with ideas with which they disagree. If you could have a legitimate conversation with them, and explain your beliefs to them. That might be a valuable opportunity for both sides to learn. But it doesn't work that way. Just like any good sales professional, they know how to get around your objections. Go talk to a brick wall. It'll be just as effective. You say they mean well, that they have your best interests at heart. And that's probably true in most cases. But here's something that many people don't know. Did you realize that some of these groups actually have quotas on the number of hours per month that they must knock on doors and proselytize? It's a requirement of membership in their church. So don't necessarily just assume that they are doing it out of their love for you or desire to save your souls. Sometimes they simply have no choice. Now, I think everyone should be made aware of what the major religions teach. I'd love to see comparative religions as a required course in high school. Yes, in all high schools. Now, I know roughly what the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Scientologists, and other groups believe, and I don't believe in it. I'm aware of it, and have made an informed decision to disagree. There's nothing in Buddhism that says you cannot listen to other groups preach their religions. They all have some good ideas. So if you're curious about them and actually want to sit through a lesson or lecture, then there's no harm in listening. But if you're happy where you are and already know that you aren't going to convert, then by inviting them in, you're wasting their time as much as they are yours. Buddhism is the fourth largest religion in the world, after Christianity, Islam, and Hinduism. Why is it only number four? Generally speaking, it's because Buddhists are more passive and do not actively proselytize and evangelize looking for converts. There are very few Buddhist missionaries out there. It's better that people make the decision to follow the Buddhist path on their own. Forcing them to do it 
or annoying them into giving in to it, isn't the Buddhist way. So no, I think closing the door on them and getting them to move on in the fastest possible way is going to be less frustrating for you, as well as less time-wasting for them, reducing suffering for all. Choose your battles wisely. This is one you won't be able to win. Am I being overly harsh here? I don't know, maybe. As I said earlier, it's one of my big pet peeves. As always, feel free to comment on the blog if you agree, disagree, or want to share your own experience on this. Many people already have on this topic. And that's all I have for you this week. Remember that Daily Buddhism runs primarily from your donations, and it's easy to help out. Just go to www.dailybuddhism.com donate and click on any of the options there. You can donate as little as $1 or as much as you want. If you do choose the recurring $5 a month donation level, you'll get a free subscription to the monthly Buddhism PDF magazine. But of course, anything you send is appreciated and helpful. Keep in mind that the Daily Buddhism daily email newsletter is completely free. All you need to do is go to the site and sign up. And if you have any question on any Buddhism-related topic, send in your questions by email to brian at dailybuddhism.com or phone them in on our voicemail hotline. Leave your message there at 937-660-4949. Or post your ideas, comments, suggestions, or anything else in the comments section of any individual blog post on the website. And I will see you next week.